From Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is away this week. This week, we're happy to introduce you to our new youth pastor, Kale Little. Kale is bringing this week's message from 3 John. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Kale Little, the youth pastor here. Um, hey. <laughs> hey. Um, and uh, just wanted to share a little bit about me first. Um, also wanted to thank Matt, that last song is so true, isn't it? Uh, that we serve the great I am, uh, the Almighty God. So um, what a great reminder um, before we start here. Um, I grew up in Guinea, West Africa as a missionary kid. Um, the country there is 99.9% Islamic. Uh, there's a lot of animism built in there, which is people that believe in spirits of rocks and trees and such of that nature. Um, and so my parents... Uh, felt the call of God to go and share Christ with them. And so, so we went. And I, as the eight-year-old self, was like, yeah, adventure, you know. And so, <laughs> so we went and uh, met a lot of really cool people and saw a lot of really cool things. Um, but ultimately, the best thing was that we saw God work uh, there. And so when I was a junior in high school, after being homeschooled in the bush of Africa, you know, just our family— um, I went to a boarding school, so that was a nice springboard from Bush to college here in the States. And um, then I went to Union University and met Katie, my wife, there, and we got married in 2012, and I graduated that December. And I worked while she finished school, and now we're here because I felt God calling me to uh, study more um, and learn more about him so that I could do youth ministry more effectively, because that, that is uh, what he has called me to do. And so I'm so excited that y'all as a church have called me here uh, to serve with your youth. Um, I've loved every moment of it so far and look for, <laughs> forward to more of it too, um, and getting to know them. And, and it, we're, we've been talking about the kingdom of God in youth, and um, we're moving into having an awe of him. When he says, I am, I am the great I am, that should move us to awe. Um, and we use that word awesome all the time, right? For awesome pizza or, the, you know, this, this or that is awesome. But, but what, is, what truly inspires awe in us? And God should be the ultimate inspirer of awe. Um, he has been teaching me about this for the last couple months. And um, it all started when I was on mission with uh, Katie's Home Church, a church that I interned with with their youth for three summers, we went to Guatemala. And I, being a missionary kid, had never actually been on a mission trip, which is weird. <laughs> so it was my first time. I'd, I'd been on the receiving end of them, but I had never gone myself. And uh, God just taught me so much through that. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about that as well. Um, but we're going to be looking in John 3 uh, this morning. Um, so if you turn there, John is the fourth gospel out of four. Um, you have Matthew to start off with um, that is written primarily to Jews. It has a lot of references to the Old Testament to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. He is who he says he is. Following him is Mark, which is the shortest of the gospel books, and that book talks about um, two Gentiles and specifically new believers in Rome as they're under persecution. Just what, about what Jesus did. 
um, taught a lot about his miracles, a lot about his ministry. Um, Luke, he was a Gentile doctor. He is a scientist, and so he took a very practical, detail-oriented approach at looking at, okay, who is Jesus, and what did he do? And his goal was to prove to Gentiles who didn't know anything about this Jewish tradition or who this Jesus was, he was proving that this, this Jesus is important to you and also should change your life. Um, and so then when we come to John, John, he was this disciple that Jesus loved. Um, he walked the most with Jesus. He knew him the best. And yet, out of those four Gospels, John only covers about 30 days of Jesus' ministry, of his three-year ministry. And most of the book is about 24 hours. Um, so, why was that? I mean, he, John was saying, look at, look at these small moments in Jesus' life. This, his goal was to reach not just the Gentiles or not just the Jews, but to reach all nations and all people to say, regardless of what context you come from, this man Jesus is who he says he is. And this man Jesus has saved you because we are in need of saving in this world. And so I wanted to start in John 1, and we'll get to John 3 in a moment. Um, With the first five verses in John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so I'll, I'll stop right here for just a moment. The Jews reading this would say, oh, in the beginning was the Word. Yes. Genesis 1, God spoke and there was light. God spoke and created things. And they would be like, this is good. I like this already. And the Greeks, they would be, they'd be looking at this and say, in the beginning was the word, logos. You know, yes, the word is knowledge. There's power in, in knowledge. And so they're, they're on board at this point. And then verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. And they're saying, okay, I'm, not, I'm tracking. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So when it says, he was in the beginning with God, other translations say, the word became flesh. And Jews would say, whoa, are you saying that this is the Messiah has come already? No, that's not true. And the Greeks would be saying, whoa, you're saying that that this, this knowledge is, came in a person? What are you talking about? That's, that's ridiculous. And so that, John begins the book by saying, this is who Jesus is. And you may not like it, but it's still true. And so then, then he starts talking about Jesus' opening ministry. And in chapter 2, for context, Jesus begins the ministry and he uh, goes to this wedding at Cana and he turns water to wine. It's his first miracle. And then After that, he goes to the temple for the Passover, which was a time based in Exodus tradition. It's just steeped in tradition. The Jews were all about uh, their their list of of things that they'd done for centuries. And so, um, but the Passover signified cleansing. It signified when they were sent out from Egypt, where they they would put the blood over the door. And and, um, it was very symbolic of cleansing and a a time of renewal. And so it's incredibly symbolic and important that Jesus, the thing that he cleanses is the temple. He goes to the temple and he says, you've made this a den of trade and of robbers. But the key part I want you all to get here is in verse 19 where Jesus says, the sign he will show them to explain his authority to drive out the traitors in, in the temple is to, quote, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. 
So it's here in this exciting reference to his resurrection that we come to John 3. So read with me. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Y'all pray with me. Father, as we look into your word, please speak to us, each individually. Lord, you have something to teach each of us this morning. Um, And I ask that in this time that that we look to you and and what we learn today is something that impacts our lives going forward, um, that these words are not mine, but Lord, they're yours. And so I'm thankful and looking forward to this. And it's your name we pray. Amen. So at the beginning, Nicodemus says he comes at night, which is an odd time to come. But he's a, he's a Pharisee. He's the ruler of the Jews. And he, he's concerned what his fellow Pharisees would think. So he comes at night. It's probably pretty late. And he says, Rabbi, which means teacher. And for a ruler of the Jews to say Rabbi to some previously no-named person, I mean, Jesus just began his ministry and he's already calling him teacher. That's a sign of great respect, especially coming from a man called the ruler of the Jews. And he says, you know, we, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. If only he'd known how, how right he was about that, or how, how little of a fraction he got. I mean, Jesus was God, not just that God was with him. And, and Jesus hears his half-question And his answer doesn't seem to actually answer what Nicodemus said. I mean, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus didn't ask anything about the kingdom of God. He just said, we we notice that God is with you. So Jesus is answering the question that Nicodemus didn't even know he was asking himself. He says, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Because Nicodemus is like, I don't get this born again thing. I, don't, I just don't get it. And, he's, and Jesus is saying, look, it's, it's, I'm not speaking exactly. You're not being born physically again. Born of water is to be born physically. But to be born of the Spirit 
That's something different. That's something new. It shows a change he talks about. I was talking with a guy at uh, Firestone just recently, and he actually said to me that the most difficult people that he deals with are people that tell him, well, I'm a born-again Christian. And those are the worst people to him, and they never do the survey, and they're always impatient. But they always specify that they are the born-again Christians. He said, those are the worst people I have ever met. So are they really born again? To be born again shows a life change, that there's something in us that's different than the world, that the Spirit lives in us. And so we can't speak flippantly about this gospel. I wouldn't be here if I was just talking. I believe this. And so Jesus is saying you can't be part of the kingdom of God unless you're born of the Spirit. That which is flesh is flesh, and that which is spirit is spirit. He says, do not marvel that I said to you these things. And then to give another example, he says the wind, and that word wind there is in the Greek, it means wind, but it also means spirit. So he's doing a little play on words. Jesus is a punster, you know. (laughs) So I like that. It's biblical. But he says the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with those who are born in the Spirit. That we don't, we don't always know um, where the Spirit is coming from or where it's leading us, but we're, we're, all of us are looking to know the will of God, right? But sometimes it's following God is not about the destination. It's about the direction. So we hear and feel His moving, pointing us in the direction of follow me because the, the real destination is the kingdom of God. And we're living that. Uh, this, this is part of the kingdom of God. To worship and, and to rejoice with fellow believers is, that's what the kingdom's going to be. It's just a little picture of what heaven's going to be like. So he uses this metaphor, and Nicodemus starts to get it. But he doesn't, he's not quite there yet. He says, how can these things be? He doesn't say, what do you mean? He says, how can these things be? So, Jesus, I see kind of what you're talking about, but... How is that real? How is that applicable? When I was in Guatemala, um, we used this passage a lot. We talked through this a lot um, because that country is vastly uh, Catholic. And so the Catholic church in Guatemala is extremely strict um, and very tradition-oriented. Uh, and it, it reminded me so much of what it was like in Guinea. Um, because it's people doing the same thing because they always did it and because their parents told them that that's the way they did it and so they continue to do it that way. And children are, children are sprinkled and baptized in the Catholic church. And so for, for people in Guatemala to say, oh, I'm a Christian, and to be baptized is, is making a very real statement. Because we, we met a man who was a farmer in the Catholic church in Guatemala. They... Um, were passing out fertilizer to other farmers, and they left him out because he said, I believe in Jesus, and I believe, and, and I am baptized. And so they, because he was going apart from their tradition, they, they were very resistant to that. And another man, his, when he was baptized, his wife left him and took the kids. And so their baptism and being, uh, that symbol of being born in the Spirit, you know, were buried in death and, and raised to new life in Christ, Right? that new life in Christ, it was very real for them. And it had to show a life change. Otherwise, why would they do it? 
And we spoke to many people growing up that would, would say, this, this makes sense more, way more than anything I've ever heard. But I can't, I, and I believe that, but I can't do anything about it because I'll lose everything. And so what kind of belief do we have? Is it a belief that is based in life change or is it a belief that's just, well, I've always believed it. One thing that helps me believe is to see God and see people experience God. And so while we're there, um, we were walking up the mountain uh, to visit other people, and we knew of this man that um, didn't have very much food. And so we, we gathered a little bag of food to give to him and his family. And when we got there, we hiked up the mountain. It took a really long time, and we're all, we're all beat exhausted, but our, you know, our translators are just hoofing it. They're, they're really good at that. And uh, so we get up there, and it's a gorgeous view. But this man lives in this little shack, and he comes out. Um, there's a picture of him. I had of us speaking with him. Uh, his name is Don Pedro there on the right. Um, but he, he ha- he's so old and frail, but I was just kind of floored by being in his presence. I, I, and I told him, I said, the scripture says gray hairs are like a crown of wisdom. Uh, and it's an honor to be in the presence of someone wearing so many crowns. And he, he kind of laughed at that, but then he got really sad and he said, yes, but I, I don't remember much of my wisdom. But what I do know is that I'm a Christian. And as I said, when, when they say they're a Christian, that means something there in Guatemala. And this, this moment came across us all. And the, that man there on the left, he just started speaking to him and their translator was trying to keep up. But it was a moment that, I mean, he was not speaking his own words. He said, look, we know you're blind. You can't see. And he was talking about how he would, he would fall down and sometimes he couldn't even pick himself up and he would have to... Um, you know, wait for his son-in-law to come help him up. And so this man on the left, Asa'u, said, you can't see now, but just take heart because the first thing that you will see is Jesus Christ in heaven and on the throne. And then right after that, we all, without speaking to each other, stood up and we just gathered around him and started to pray all at once, which is something that we Baptists don't really do. (laughs) All at once and out loud, you know? And we didn't, say, okay, this is what we're going to do. It just, we felt the Spirit of God over us, and, and it was an uplifting time of encouraging someone where God was saying, okay, I'm using my people to speak to my people. And so as we're walking down that mountain, we felt this wind blow up, and I thought of Acts 2, where the room was filled with the wind, and the Holy Spirit filled that room, and that was like that moment. And so we have the wind, and Jesus then says, verse 11, which hits me like a ton of bricks as it did then and as it does now. I read that that day. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. That you, he says there, is plural in the Greek, which means he's speaking to all of Israel. It's not just to Nicodemus that Nicodemus isn't understanding. It's you as a people aren't receiving this testimony. But those in the kingdom, <coughs> excuse me, those in the kingdom can only speak of what we know and can only bear witness to what we've seen. So what has God done in your life? Think about those things. Share what he's done in your life. It's kind of like raising a banner to say, this, this is what I believe. I, I, I stand with this cause. You know, the medieval banners or even, you know, our American flag today, it, it inspires such patriotism but if we're, if we're proclaiming, waving this banner of, of Christ, what has he done in our lives? So we need to think about that. 
and remember those things. So Nicodemus seems to be getting it. And then verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the son of man. And he's saying this, he says son of man, but to have descended from heaven means that he's also the son of God, which is the beauty of who Jesus is, because he is both 100% God and 100% man. If he was just man and died, he couldn't have died for our sins. And if he was just God, he wouldn't have triumphed over the sin to bear our sins. The fact that he's 100% God and 100% man, as he says here, that is the gospel. That is what saves. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, he's referencing Numbers 21, which is the Jews were steeped in tradition, as I said. And this is a story back when they were wandering in the wilderness. And they, the Israelites, they knew that they were going towards the promised land. They knew that destination. But in the direction, they lost sight. They lost focus. And they were, they were wailing and worrying. And they said, it would be better for us to die here or go back and be slaves in Egypt. God, you've brought us to this place to die. Even though God had promised them that they're going to this wonderful place. And they said, we're tired of eating this stuff that you're providing. We're, we're tired of all of this stuff. It'd be better to die. And, and Moses is like, what? He's like, God, how do I teach these people? What do I do? Because in his, in his anger at them rebelling against God, God sent snakes among them and they, and they bit some of the people and some of the people were sick and dying. And so God told Moses, he said, make a bronze serpent and raise it up and anyone who looks at the snake will be healed. And so it's with this story that he brings it all home to Nicodemus because Nicodemus would know this story. He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's such a cool picture, like the banner, that it, it's Jesus who brings life. And so when we look at John 3, the first thing we think of most of the time is John 3.16, right? And this is the context. This is what makes 3.16 so powerful. Look at this, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen what his works have been carried out in God. Remember John 1, that, Paul, uh, that John was saying Jesus is the light of the world. He shatters the darkness. And here, Jesus himself, I, I always forget that Jesus was the one saying 316. But this picture is so beautiful and so scary too. Because there's a world in darkness, y'all. And we've experienced what God has done in our lives, and we know he's real and true. But if that doesn't change us, if it doesn't urge us to something more, then we're just like the people that say, oh, I'm a born-again Christian and live nothing like that. So how do we proclaim Jesus? How do we, how are we living banners? How do we, how do we do that? We have to, one, remember what God has done in our lives. As it says, speak of what we know and of what we've seen. And daily, remember the gospel. 
Who is Jesus? Why do we believe? Otherwise, why are we here? Why do we come here every Sunday? Is that just something like the Pharisees were? Where they do something every Sunday just because? Or every Saturday for them? In everything we do, we have to lift Jesus up and point to him. Because it's not about us. It's about him. And pointing to him and say, look, in the trials, in the difficulty, Jesus is life. Not to say that there will be no more sickness, no more death in this world, no more suffering. Because that, that is very real. That's a cause of sin. But Jesus is the only way to life. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere and celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. A community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person. Real people who truly care. Solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens. And the most energetic, safe, and fun kids program around. Find out more at crossculturelife.org. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.